Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Brother McClintock. My, whenever he mentions reminding me as if I needed reminding that I had the great privilege of being his pastor, I wish everyone I pastored had turned out that good. Amen. We love and appreciate Brother McClintock. It's such a joy to be part of Urshan. We look forward to January 1 rolling around when, when the weight of our duties somewhere else fell off our shoulders and we were able to turn those duties over to someone else, someone exceptionally qualified. And, and now we're home right here and so glad to be home at Urshan. Amen. And it's such a joy to be with each and every one of you to see what God is doing in your life, to recognize his hand, feel better about the future, feel better about the hope of our world because of so many of you that we've had the privilege of meeting. And all of the faculty that are able to be here tonight, such a joy to be part of what's happening here. My two big bosses are here tonight, Brother Calthart and Sister Russell, so I'll try to preach good if I can. You always want to impress the boss. I do have something I feel on my heart. I, after Brother McClintock called and mentioned that Sister Marshall could not be with us, and what a wonderful job she would have done. And, of course, we continue to pray for her recovery and for the days she'll be able to be with us. But I begin to seek the Lord and want to know what he'd have me to talk about. And I feel that this is what he's laid on my heart. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 one of those general statements that Paul baked into his letters. That are simplistic in some ways, easy to read through, grasp the surface meaning, and then discover upon further reflection that there's something very, very deep. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God bless you. You may be seated. The subject of the glory of God is, um, is something that four or five years ago, got a hold of my imagination. I begin to recognize that it is one of those vast subjects that is far beyond human capacity to grasp. That even spending time and energy and effort to dig into God's word and contemplate the subject leaves us so short of the depths and the wonder 
of the subject. I've taught about it. I've preached about it. I've thought about it. Meditated upon it. Exegeted passages. Did everything I could to grasp it. And I have to confess in my, in my beginning tonight, in, in the opening, that, that actually I am far from grasping this vast subject. The glory of God. It is one of those things that defies description that's beyond our ability to add enough words to describe it much less understand it. It's a living entity. It has a power all its own. There's a greatness to it. There's a depth and a wonder to it that's beyond and defies our ability to explain. I have a few nuggets that I've been able to dig out. I want to share with you on this last night of our Spiritual Emphasis Week, our Commitment Week. And maybe some of them will make sense to you. Some of them you may not agree with. That's okay. I reserve for you the right to be wrong. But some of them you may disagree with when I first say them, but if you'll think about them, you might find that there's truth hidden in the paucity of our words. We cannot escape the fact that it is one of the, of the great hidden truths of the Bible. That God's first commitment, His first commitment, is to His own glory. And it is this commitment to His glory that is the basis of all he does. It is the motive behind so many of his actions. His glory matters to God. And because it matters to God, it must matter to us. Because it is his motive for so much that he does, should it not then be the motive behind all that we do? And perhaps this is what Paul was reaching for in my text. All that you do, all that you do, do it to the glory of God. Now the corollaries that go along with this fundamental truth, I don't I, I want to pause here and, and, and make sure you understand. I'm not describing a vainglorious God here. I'm not describing an egotistical God here. His glory is not about building him up. He's far beyond being built up. He is the mighty God, the creator of the universe. In him we live and move and have our being. He doesn't need us to praise him. He doesn't need us to glorify him. He was glorified before we were ever born. And he will be glorified when we are long dust. No, that's not the issue here, there is something powerful and pulsating in the glory of God. 
And when God cares about that glory, then we too ought to care about it. But it leads us to other certain truths that are somewhat, I think, they, I think they're disquieting. I think they challenge us. I think they stretch our thinking. But here's one of them right here. God is not mankind-centered. He's not human-centered. God is not about us. Oh, I know we're self-centered. We think we're the center of the universe. And that every morning when God gets up, the first thing he does is to check on us and see if we're okay. That God lives through his day worrying about how he can make our burden a little lighter and help us make it through the day. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not human being centered. The God of the Bible is centered about his own glory. He does. Now this is even harder, so hang in here. He does what he does not for us, but for his own glory. Thank you, all three of you. Now, unless you think I'm just out there in left field making this stuff up, think about this passage that I read to you. Therefore, say, this is Ezekiel 32 and 22, unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, I will sanctify my great name, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. And unless we don't realize who he is ultimately talking to, get this verse 26, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And just in case you still don't recognize us, I will put my spirit within you and will cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall be my people and I will be your God. But not for your sakes do I this saith the Lord God. Salvation, redemption, forgiveness, grace are all for the glory of God. His love for us is motivated not because we're lovable, 
not because we're good, not because we deserve it, but because God is centered about his own glory. Hang on, it gets worse. You see, it was not when we got our act together, when we became good, upright, and holy. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because of the glory of God. God saves us for his own sake that he may be glorified. This is why we are here. It is this glory of God to which God is dedicated that causes him to save us. I'll take it even a little further. God loves his glory more than he loves us. I told you it'd get worse. I'm not saying he doesn't love us. And I'm not saying he didn't die because he loves us. God so loved the world. Understand all that. But it is his glory. Now let me, let me illustrate what I mean. You remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai and God had given him the pillar, uh, the tablets of stone upon which with his own finger God had written the Ten Commandments. You remember that. And while Moses was up there, Israel down in the plain had made them a golden calf and were worshiping this idol God. <laughs> Not only worshiping a God that was no God, but listen to what they were singing as they down danced about this empty image of nothing. They said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And God saw what they were doing. Sent Moses back. He was so angry he shattered the tables of stone. There was blood in the streets. And then God went back up to meet. Or Moses went back up to meet God. And God said, I'm going to kill him. Best solution I can come up with. Just kill the whole bunch. And I'll start over with you. That's what he said. He had done it before. He killed the whole world except Noah and his family. So he told Moses, he said, I'm going to kill them all. I'll let you be the new guy and I'll start again with you. It'll still keep my promises to Abraham because you're a son of Abraham. God said, I got plenty of time. And they don't love me. How could they love me? They just can't. And Moses said, God, you can't do that. Now I want to ask you, what was Moses trying to accomplish? He was trying to change God's mind. He wanted to save these people. And he told God, 
You can't kill them because they're your children. No, that's not what he said. Yeah, right. Moses told God, you can't kill them because you love them. No, that's not what he said. He knew God's love for them could not save them. There's no doubt that God loved them, that God had brought them out of Egypt, that God had made promises to them, but that could not save them. Moses understood God's nature. He was a man who had a connection with God beyond the normal. And so when he approached God, he didn't claim God's love. He didn't claim God's mercy. He did not call on God's grace. What he said was, is your glory is at stake here. The whole world knows that you've made promises to this people. The whole world knows that you said you'd bring them out and into the land of promise. It's your reputation that is at stake. And it wasn't God's love that saved them. It wasn't God's grace that saved them. It was God's glory that saved them. God loves his glory. He is centered about his glory. He is motivated by the glory of God. And when you stop and think about it, this vast subject beyond my ability to preach, that it is in the glory of God that we find our safety. We don't deserve what we're feeling here tonight. We haven't earned what we've got living in our hearts. We have not been good enough, righteous enough. We have not reached the heights of devotion and holiness to in any way justify God's love and God's grace. But let me tell you what it is. When he saves us, the Gentiles will know that there is a God in heaven. When he calls us out, the world will know there is still a God. He is still on the throne. He still saves. He still delivers. And he still keeps his word. God loves his glory. Let's give him a little glory right now. Why don't you? Hallelujah. The only reason we're not condemned, the only reason we haven't received wrath, the only reason since we are worthy of death that we have life is what he said in Isaiah 48, for my namesake will I defer my anger and for my praise will I refrain that I cut thee not off. My friends, it matters that God's glory is in play. Live your life not to bring glory 
it to yourself, but live your life to bring glory to God. And his love and his grace will follow. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Let's give him some praise. Let's worship him right now. I'm going to try to hurry. Let me tell you why this matters. Why I brought out these difficult thoughts. And I know they are easily misinterpreted. I understand that. But here's why. Here's why it matters. Here's here's why I believe the Lord laid this subject on my heart. And that is this. What we do for our own glory is worthless. worthless it may help people here it may alleviate some suffering there's lots of good work that goes on it may clothe those who have no clothing and feed those who have no food and shelter those who have no home all of that's true and I thank God for every bit of it and for those who receive it it is certainly worthy but in the light of eternity Simple human good works have no value. If it's for someone's, that I get someone's attention so that I'm applauded, so that someone says, that's a good man, then it has no value in eternity. When it's about me, it's worthless. You've heard it. There's nothing new about this. When you get up to sing, if your motive is so that people will tell you later, my, you have a wonderful voice, or my, how skillful you are singing. If that's what it's about, you got your reward, and it's over. But if you step to that podium, if you get that microphone, and you care about one thing only, I want to lift up the name of Jesus. I want to praise him. I want it to be to the glory of God. then something remarkable happens. It reaches beyond what you can do in yourself. And it touches something greater and something higher. When I do it for me, it's worthless. Let me tell you, I I haven't been around here long, but I picked up on a couple of things. There's some wonderful preachers in this place. Now, I know you're just learning the ropes. I get that. And I, I know right now you're just kind of hoping that you get a handle on all that stuff. I get that. I understand. But I can see something. I've heard some things. I've connected with some things. I've looked in some eyes, and I'm going to tell you, the future's in the hands of some young men and women that are sitting in this congregation right now. You will be preaching the conferences and the camp meetings, and you will be touching a generation yet unborn. Listen to this preacher. You have what it takes, but if you do it to build your kingdom, if you do it so your name will be in light, if you do it so you'll get the invitation to the next big meeting, you'll miss the whole point but if you do it for him you will change the world
It's important that we get that God values his glory above everything else. It's important because if I do it for me, it's nothing. But when I do it for him, it's everything. Let me try to bring this in even a little closer. When we are willing to be God-centered, only because we believe he is me-centered, we relegate God to being just another instrument for our own glory. Now, I'm going to preach a little hard here right now, okay? Hang on. Where do we get the idea that God exists to meet our every desire? Where did we get the idea that God's up there in heaven to take care of our needs, to make us happy, to make us rich or powerful or influential? Let me settle something right now. God does not exist for us. We exist for him. Our glory is not in view, not even for a second. Everything we do is about his glory. It's about his honor. It's that his name is exalted. Everything we do is not to live a life filled with what we desire, but it's to lay down our dreams, lay down our ambitions, and lay down our goals, and say, I'm going to do everything that I do to the glory of God. the good part. I finally got here after all this. When we do what we do for us, we only get what our ability can produce. There are secular singers and speakers and preachers live immoral lives, who do what they do for a bigger paycheck, for the fame and the fortune. And they can move a crowd, and they can make people say, wow, and they can build big groups of people that they call a church. But they have the talent, and that is as far. We do it for the glory of God. We get not just what we can do. We get what he can do. I've been preaching a long time. And I've been, I think I'm the most overintroduced preacher in Pentecost. And tonight was an example. But I thank you for every word. But I've preached sometimes. In fact, I had someone come to me just the other day. Just, I won't say where, but just the other day I was preaching. He told me, he said, Brother Greg, I was at a youth camp you preached more than 30 years ago. He said, I was fresh out of the world and said I had hit that first wall, that first depression, that first discouragement. 
And he said, before I came to God, I had attempted to take my life. And I sincerely tried, and I failed. And it scared me enough. I came to church. He said, but I have to confess, before I came to that youth camp, I was thinking about trying it again. I had almost given up and decided, well, I tried the best thing out there, and it's not working for me. So there's nothing. And he said, I came to that youth camp, and you preached a sermon, and he was describing the sermon, and I have to confess, I don't really remember that sermon. I don't remember that night. I don't re- I remember that camp, but I don't remember a lot of details from it. But he started telling me what I preached, and he said, when you preach that, Something happened inside of me. Something was rekindled in me. He said, I went to that altar and I touched God. And he said, I've never been the same since. Now, I promise you that's not the preacher. I promise you it wasn't whatever that sermon was. I promise you it wasn't skill or ability or my vocabulary or anything like that. But when you do it for the glory of God... There is a power that comes down. We call it the anointing. We call it a move of God. We call it the presence of God. But when we do it for His glory, we trigger the glory to come down to where we are. And God can do more in five minutes than we could do in all of our lives. I challenge this group of world changers uh, to give your heart to one thing uh, and one thing only I will sing for his glory I will teach for his glory I will preach for his glory I will pray for his glory I will walk uh, for his glory I'll testify I'll teach a Bible study I'll knock on doors uh, but I will do it for his glory Let's praise him. Give him some glory right now. Stand with me, would you? How could they do it? How could they do it? How could they face the crosses on the hills around Rome? How could they face the burning pyres that awaited them? The vicious beasts in the Colosseum. How did they do it? How could they lay down their lives without a whimper, without a begging for a deliverance? How could they do it? All I can tell you is they lived for his glory. And they were willing to die for his glory. No wonder Rome itself and the power of the emperor himself could not stop what the church was able to do. When the glory of God comes, anything is possible. Because God will do anything for his Let's pray for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lift your hands and pray with me right now. Shalom and Hakai. Hido Yomashi and Ariokonda. Glory to God. Your glory. 
flesh there is no good thing. But in your glory there is revival. In your glory there is deliverance. In your glory a church can be set on fire. Sinners will come. Lives will be changed. In your glory there is hope. There is hope. In your glory. In your glory. Maybe you'd like to rethink your motives tonight. Maybe you'd like to re-examine how you see what it is you do. Maybe on this last night of spiritual emphasis week, we make that final commitment, that final consecration. Not me. Not me. But you, Jesus. It's about you, Jesus. It's for you. And it must be by you. It's your glory that we need. The Shekinah that shimmered between the cherubim on the mercy seat of the ark was the glory of God. <laughs> the pillar of cloud and fire that led them through the wilderness was the glory of God. That which descended on the temple so that the priests could not minister that was the glory of Today, it shines through the face of Jesus Christ. He is the glory of God. When we do it for Him, it is the glory of God. Let's give our hearts to Him, our lives to Him. Our all to Him in Jesus' name. Let's reach for Him right now. I praise you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. My life, my heart, my everything. It's for 